All right. Good morning again, church. Well, if you're from here, you'll notice that I'm not Pastor Paul. But if you're not from here and you're visiting with us this morning, I am an associate pastor here at Laramie Valley Chapel. I've been here just for, really, just for a couple, I guess, maybe a couple months now. And uh, Paul, um, Paul has been traveling. He's traveling to Germany right now. If you know anything and you don't, I guess if you're, if you're not part of this church, but one thing, if you continue to come, what you will find out is this church has a history of and will continue, uh, I would guess, in God's grace, to send out missionaries and pastors to start, plant, or take uh, churches that are struggling or need to be established. As, as uh, Jason had said earlier, he's looking at going to Scotland and and this is just one of those things. It's one of those graces that God has uh, given uh, to this church. And he is over there right now with an old associate pastor. Some of you would know is David Martin, his son. They went over uh, and have the International Baptist Church in Cologne, Germany. And they are now, they are, they're looking at planting a church out of that church. And so Paul is over there, he's speaking, and as you can see that uh, this church is not the kind of place that uh, the grass grows under the feet for very long. So uh, that, uh, that the void of our last associate pastor has brought me to here, Sam Martin, if you, if you don't know, is uh, planting a church, starting a church in, in St. George, Utah. So I don't know what that means for me, Although I have a pretty good idea, it means that I won't be here for very long. <laughs> so um, that, uh, that I'm very grateful for, and we're obviously open to whatever and wherever God ends up taking us in the future. Uh, until then, this is my opportunity to grow with you guys in my ability to speak God's word, and I look forward to doing that this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for a new day. Lord, I thank you that um, you are sovereign, you are in control of all things, Lord, uh, Regardless of how we view what may be going on in our lives, the struggles, Lord, no doubt uh, in a crowd this size that there are many struggles, many things going on, and even difficult to get to church this morning. So, Lord, I pray you give us the grace to drop those things at the door, to hear what your word has to say, Lord. And, Lord, moreover, I pray you give us the grace not to leave here the same people that we came in. Lord, that we would extend your love to others, in a way that you had extended it to us, that we would reflect you well to the world and to each other, Lord, as your church. I pray in Jesus' name. Well, anymore it seems as though every calendar day has some form of, of commemoration excuse me, attached to it. So today, I thought I would just do a little search on the internet and find out what is today's day? What are we, commemora what are we commemorating and I found that today is International Coffee Day. Does anybody say amen to that? I don't know. I know the early crowd was like, amen to that, right? Eight o'clock, International Coffee Day. Also, today is World Vegetarian Day. So when you're done with your cup of coffee, then you can go on down to lunch and grab a giant bowl of broccoli. It's high in protein. And enjoy that and enjoy International Vegetarian Day. Here is, here's another one for you. It is also, today, it's a busy day, it is Older People's Day. So I kind of looked a little bit into that. I was like, well, where do they draw the line, right? I'm starting to get a little older. So 
I look into that, and it got me to thinking, well, geez, I wonder what my birthday was. My birthday was last week, so I, I looked back on their little calendar and went to September 26th, and I found out, this is amazing, that it was Batman Day. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst three other things, I, I don't remember what they were, but uh, I thought, well, what in the world is Batman Day? So I went ahead and did a little more research because I'm, I'm fairly easily distracted, and uh, <laughs> The purpose of Batman Day is to celebrate, of course, the anniversary of the character's first ever appearance, which uh, was in the Detective Comics, number 27, way back, it said, in May of 1939. And I thought, okay, why in the world would you celebrate Batman Day in September if it was in May of 1939? Anyway. What do you think about that? I think, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Uh, that was, I was really hoping somebody would laugh. Because that's what I did. I thought, this is foolish, man. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. Well, on a more serious note, it seems to be a cross-cultural phenomenon to build shrines, walls, tombs, and monuments to memorialize important events and people. Here are just a few national examples. The Vietnam Memorial... You should have a, a picture there for you. The Vietnam Memorial wall is made up of two 246-foot, 9-inch long walls etched with the names of the servicemen and women being honored in panels of horizontal, ro horizontal rows. The walls are sunken into the ground with the earth behind them. At the highest tip, they are 10 feet, 1 inch high, and they taper to a height of 8 inches, at their extremities. Symbolically, this is described as a wound that is closed but healing. The next one, as you see in the, in the background, there is the Washington Monument. It is an obelisk on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., built to commemorate George Washington, once Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army and the first President of the United States. Located almost due east of the Reflecting Pool and the Lincoln Memorial, the monument, made of marble, granite, and blue gneiss, is, the, is both the world's tallest stone structure and the world's tallest obelisk, standing 554 feet, 7 and 11 seconds inches tall. It is the tallest monumental column in the world. Now, I'm really curious, as a tradesman, or an, you know, I, I guess I've been a tradesman for a long time, but... I'm just thinking, 554 feet, 7 and 11 30 seconds of an inch. How in the world did they measure that thing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But uh, biblically speaking, there are many memorials to be recognized within its pages. However, probably one of the most important that we find is established in Exodus chapter 12 is the memorial meal called the Passover. And, was, and it was instituted early in the history of Israel. The Passover meal is permeated with the image of having a meal with God and remembering that God had passed over them with his judgment. Today I'm going to be speaking about the last Passover meal. We're going to be celebrating today communion, the Last Supper, and we will be remembering what it was that Christ did for us on the cross but when I think about the Passover, I think it's easy, especially in America, for us to kind of forget the historical significance of what the Passover meant. 
yes, it was the Last Supper, and we can kind of disconnect from, from the, the historicity of that and just say, well, we'll celebrate the meal. And I think rightly so, and we, and we do that. But to rightly understand, you've got to understand that three times a year, God had told the nation, you will come back. You will do this meal with me. And that was the whole imagery of it. Uh, it's Shiloh, where, where they believe that the, the, the tabernacle used to sit. Now they, they have done all this, all this archaeological work, and, and there are literally feet deep of broken pots around where the, where the tabernacle would have sat. And the imagery, why would that be? That's because thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Israelites over hundreds of years are coming and they're eating this Passover meal in the presence, looking down at the tabernacle. And the, the idea is that we're communing with God. And today as we celebrate the Passover and we, um, and, or not the Passover, but the Last Supper, we need to remember that that, that is yet the imagery, right? It's the imagery that we would come and that we would have a time of communion and intimacy with God. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, records the supper this way. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. Let us not take for granted the enormity of this proclamation of the new covenant. Covenants require the shedding of blood, and the blood of this covenant will be nothing less than that which Acts 20.28 says, God's own blood. Jesus said, take this bread, take this cup, and do this in remembrance of me. Now, I cannot imagine the sheer amount of memories that would have come to mind for the 11 at this point in time as they thought of their friend, right, their master, their teacher. And I think they wrestled and wrestled with this idea of, uh, of Jesus showing them that he was God. But even they so struggled with what that looked like. But nonetheless, as they are remembering back, and I, I can imagine in the years past his crucifixion, and they would come to the Lord's table, what would they remember of Christ? At the end of the Gospel of John, he pins this statement, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. As we move today towards sharing the Lord's Supper, let us remember the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. First, let us remember the anticipation of the Messiah. In the book of Daniel, there are a multitude of things revealed about the, the, the coming of the Messiah in the time frame of the end of the age. It is very synonymous. It works very cleanly and clearly with the book of Revelation. If you ever get, a time, if you ever get time, you know, look at those two books and understand that they're, they're very much hand in hand. At the time that Jesus is showing up, the world, as, as the Israelite world knew it, was in the fifth kingdom. 
That was significant, a fifth kingdom ruling over the nation of Israel. And the significance of that is that that had been shown in the vision that, that the Messiah would come and break down. It would, he would break into the fifth kingdom ruling over. And so there was a level of anticipation in, in Israel for the Messiah to show up. Secondly, there's clearly a very, a very distinct and distinctive promise given in, um, in the ninth chapter of Daniel that gives us literally a time frame of when the Messiah would be cut off. We would know that it is 483 years from the proclamation to go restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So at this point in time, although there's much argument about how we get to those 483 years, and I think there probably was argument during the time of Jesus' life of when it was happening, there seems to be all this, all this uproar within Israel, I think proven out. We can see that, that Simon, is, Simon uh, one of the 11 or one of the 12 is a zealot. We know that Barabbas, the man who was traded essentially, for the life of Christ was some form of insurrectionist, and there was a lot of uproar. Historically, there, it is said to have been that there was multiple false messiahs showing up on the scene at this point in time, and I believe most of that is, has much to do with the fact that they're reading Daniel. They're looking, and they're saying, the Messiah has got to be here. When Jesus said to remember me, the 11 would have remembered the level of anticipation of the Messiah that they were looking for. They would have remembered the revelation of God's Son. Matthew 1.20 reads like this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God's with us. Some 30 years later, the 400 years of prophetic silence in the land is broken by a voice in the wilderness. John the Baptist was shaking up the nation and calling people to repentance. After telling the religious leaders that he was not the Messiah, John sees Jesus and he says this. Jesus is coming out of 40 days of temptation. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is before, before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing. The eleven would have recalled the miracles which authenticated Christ's claims as the Son of Man and the Son of God. In the third chapter of John, a man named Nicodemus comes to him. It reads here, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. This is a very early recording 
of the fact that, that Nicodemus, he says, we know. Who's, who's Nicodemus representing here? He's representing the re- religious leaders. He's at least a portion of them who may be believing or open to believing that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet Nicodemus, in all his knowledge of God's word, clearly far above what, what I am or maybe ever may be in my understanding of God's word, Jesus looks him in the eye and tells him, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. When Jesus said to remember me, they would have remembered the revelation of the Son of God. Third, they would have remembered the national rejection of the Messiah. After three years, the nation and its religious elite reject Jesus' claims as Messiah and proclaim his miracles as those coming from the devil. Matthew records it this way, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. In similar fashion, the world rejects Jesus, calling him a good teacher or just another prophet. The problem is he claimed equality with God. He backed it up with a lifestyle that is still talked about today in his miracles and how he loved people. When Jesus said to remember me, they would have remembered the national rejection In stark contrast to the religious leaders, they would remember Peter's proclamation. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Church, if you are down and discouraged, remember Peter's proclamation. In the same, it is the same one that you have made. And be encouraged by the Lord's answer. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God said it through the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Reminisce, saint. Remember, God did the work of salvation in your life, not you. When Jesus said, remember me, they would have remembered Peter's proclamation. Remember the upper room. That Passover night, in a large upper room, the twelve, once again, are arguing about who would be the greatest. Jesus draws a towel, washes their feet, and teaches one last time, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, be the servant 
of all. Later, Jesus gives them a new command, calling for sacrificial treatment of each other. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oh, church, does your love set you apart from the world? After, after the supper, and in a heartfelt, emotional cry to be with Jesus, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. O oh, church, remember the upper room. What an intimate time where they gathered to take the Last Supper, to commune with God as we do this today. Take that time. Commune with Him. Reset your life. And move forward with Him. Remember the crucifixion. I can think of no more deeply moving and disturbing emotion than to be falsely accused let alone a crime which ended in the penalty of death. If you recall, his family, that's Jesus' family, should have been there with him, and of course they were not. Jesus had to put the care of his mother into his dear friend, John the Apostle. Consider that in spite of the horrific injustice, Jesus was more interested in fulfilling the Father's will than fulfilling his personal desire for justification and the acceptance of man. I think it is far too often easy for us to forget and we look at Jesus' deity and we see the miracles because they shine through as miracles should and we forget as clearly as he operated as God, he was just as clearly man. He just as clearly felt the same emotions that you and I would feel, just as clearly would have, would have felt rejected, evidenced in such. That at the garden, he is sweating as what? Great drops of blood. That is not fake. That is a man understanding he's being falsely accused and going to a death and being separated for the first time ever from the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Meditate on the fact that it was yours and my sinful condition that God in Christ Jesus chose to reconcile us to himself. Church, do not forget, remember the crucifixion and that you are deeply, deeply loved. Last, remember the resurrection. If Jesus had died and remained in the grave, the apostle Paul wrote, that we should be pitied above all men. Our greatest hope, church, is that at the end of this life, it is not the end of our lives. Peter goes on to, Peter says in, in chapter 1, right, that, that if we get hung up in the things of this world and we're, we're not adding to things, we're not adding to our faith, that we'll get short-sighted and hard-hearted. Maybe that's where you're at today. Remember that our hope is, is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
Church, do not forget. The resurrection. Church, remember there is no other hope in this world. It is passing away. Remember Jesus saying, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, remember the resurrection and that the angel said to Mary, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is what? Risen. You see, church, we don't celebrate a Jesus that once was. We celebrate a Jesus that is and is to come. Oh, church, remember the resurrection. We don't commemorate Jesus by building buildings or the world's tallest monuments. Rather, we are to be living stones, living lives which are holy and acceptable and pleasing unto God, living lives that stick out, that are unnormal. Jesus said that it is by by your love for one another, that, that people will know you. Can you say that of your life? Can you say that clearly, my life, I have lived sacrificially. I have loved sacrificially so oddly that people point that out in my life. That is the command that Jesus gives in the upper room. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. In the days of the Romans, pillars, we kind of tend to think of pillars, all these, maybe this is a good way to look at it as we look at these beautiful structural wood beams here. And they are structural, but the pillar there is this beautiful column. And that's what Paul is saying. There's a beauty, right? There's a beauty to what the church of God should look like to the world. It should stand out. It should be magnificent. That is the life that we live because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, We dedicate this day and the remembrance of it, Lord, to you as we celebrate the Last Supper. Lord, I pray today that as we come, that we would consider our sin. Lord, consider how we may be separate from you, not because you left us, Lord, but because we have left you. Lord, I pray that as we sing these songs, that you would convict our hearts to return unto you, to remember that which you have done for us. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in the name of your mighty son, Jesus. Amen.